everyone and uh welcome back to don't v look up you got will here and we're talking to don Pawlowski. Uh he's at sundays for dogs and excited to have him on the show today we're going to be talking a little more technical topics today than we otherwise typically do but really excited to to get introduced and don if you want to take it away talk a little bit about your background and how you got to the place you are today yeah man thanks well happy to be here so um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't know how far you want me to go back, but, you know, I started life as a structural engineer back in college, um, doing a lot of bridge design. Problem with bridges is that problem's been solved for like 150, 200 years. There's really nothing new happening in that world. And I got, you know, a little bored um, and really was starting to get more into looking for like more leadership opportunities, project management opportunities. And that just did not exist in that industry. You had to be around for 20 years and they just chose whoever was around the longest to be the next manager. So it just wasn't a really efficient industry in that. And I wasn't learning anything new. And so I had a friend of mine who was like, hey, I'll teach you how to write code. And I bought him a bagel at Panera every Monday. And he like gave me homework. And a couple months later, ended up joining the software consultancy here in Cleveland and we just work with startups and i got to see a, a bunch of people who and maybe they just got some money from an incubator or something they had an idea they wanted to help us bring it to life and that's kind of where this whole thing started for me i just got this amazing feeling of bringing brand new ideas to life and the cool thing with that being a consultant is every couple months is a brand new idea and i got to feel that and really help people and that really projected me, you know, kind of up to where I am now doing really running and building engineering teams and product teams and getting more into this e-commerce space and building data teams alongside of it. And, um, you know, learning every day. There's <laughs> the one thing about the one thing that I really love about what I do is I know I don't know everything and I don't think you can know everything. And so every day is a learning opportunity. And, you know, that's what really gets me up out of bed every day. So I, I feel like uh, a lot of people really on so far on the podcast have talked about they didn't expect to be marketers in e-commerce because marketers kind of were almost a taboo topic for a lot of people. It's just about creativity. You're kind of taking a different lens, which is, well, you never thought maybe you'd be an engineer in e-commerce, you know, and especially even on the data side. How did you even think about e-commerce? I know you're doing a lot of different projects, you know, as a consultant. What kind of attracted you to e-commerce specifically in kind of the role you're at today? Oh, man, that's a great question. I think I just kind of fell backwards into it, honestly. I mean, it is also a little hard not to be touching e-commerce in some way, right? Like that's most right. of what we're doing <laughs> is selling stuff on the internet, right? Um, and, and every business at its core is, you know, you're, sell you're selling something. Um, I never thought I would be in the position of selling an actual physical product, right, on the internet. I always thought I'd keep doing the SaaS thing or something like that. Um, Michael, the founder here at Sundays, um, really kind of opened my eyes to what this world can be and how, you know, again, how fun and, and, and it, 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 it all the opportunities to learn stuff again, right? Like selling physical products on the internet was a new challenge for me that I hadn't really done before. Um, 
at least in this way, the, you know, some of the last gigs, like there was physical products involved, but it was just done, done in a different manner. And so, yeah, I fell into it and got convinced that, you know, <laughs> that food was a great place to come and, 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 yeah. and do some maybe, stuff. Maybe you're still convinced. Yo, I can, I can yeah. attest. Sundays is a great <laughs> brand. Uh, it's growing quite fast. Yeah. And of course, as you know, you know, Michael, even the CEO, built a great business before uh, Grouper, which I, I was a big fan of, you know, way back when. But oh, right. We got he, a Grouper fan out here. Fantastic. Oh, he knows that. He knows that. <laughs> uh, that was before I met my wife, of course. And now I'm happily married. <laughs> But the, yeah, even to the point, like what, what are the state of the, you know, when he came into Sundays, for instance, like what was the state of the architecture and how to even get your hands kind of dirty, understanding what to even do in the first place? And like, what was the mandate when you came in, you know, to the business? Yeah. So, you know, noting Michael, again, the founder's past here, I think is important to telling this story. Mike, Michael's, you know, serial tech entrepreneur kind of type, right? And he... You know, not only did he come up with this product with this, with 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 Tori, you know, he also wanted to do it in a very tech first, tech as the DNA kind of focused way. And so, you know, we're on a custom platform. We're not using Shopify. I'm happy to unpack that more later. Um, but you know, the mandate from Michael was come in here, build a world class engineering and product and data team, really be customer focused and and drive growth. Like we're here to feed millions and millions of dogs as quickly as possible because you know, they really really believe in this product that we have and you know my job is to get it out to as many people as possible and show them the value of what, what we're offering yeah i do actually want to unpack that for a second you know in terms of the shopify versus you know not using a shop using more of a custom kind of build what was that decision you know, like, and how has that decision, has that decision yeah. been a good decision? Have you looked at that decision and said, hey, I wish I was on a more standardized system like Shopify? Never. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think, you know, if you, if you go back to the beginning of Sundays and, and when Michael started building the business, right, Shopify and other product, products like it weren't super great at subscription services, right? And that's what Sundays is, is it's a subscription service. You look around at the ecosystem now and, you know, there's a lot of tools that are supporting more subscriptions. And so if we were to start today, you know, would we go with Shopify or another tool that had better subscription services? Maybe, but I don't, I still don't think it's a, a cut and dry case. The benefit we have is we own everything. We control everything. And there's nothing, you know, within the realms of physics <laughs> that we can't do with our, uh, with our stack. And I find often that the, the Shopify versus custom conversation comes down to, you know, often it's cost, right? Every time I talk to someone who's transitioned off a custom cart to Shopify, the main driver is like, well, we had this really expensive engineering team and it took forever to get things done. So we just moved to Shopify and it was faster. And I think they're solving for the wrong problem in that in that world, right? Well, if you've got a, you know, most of the times oh, we had 15 engineers, we had 20 engineers, it took six months to get things done. I think the problem you actually need to solve is like, do you have an agile engineering and product team that can is focused on the right things? And, you know, Michael often talks about leverage, right? What is the highest value thing we can get done in the shortest amount of period of time and constantly pushing that conversation forward? You know, I've got a team of four engineers. I have zero intention of growing that team any larger. 
and we get stuff done pretty quickly. And so Win understands the value of the custom cart. So anyone on the marketing team, whether it's performance marketer, you know, someone who's doing lifecycle marketing, if they see the value in the custom cart, their kind of blinders come off and we can create anything we want together. And having team members like that combined with the uh, us light and agile engineering team, I would put that against Shopify all day, every day. Eventually you run out of the Shopify API. Eventually you have to hire Shopify engineers <laughs> that know how to build on that system to do the custom thing you want to do. Not a thing I ever have to worry about. That's a really interesting point. I mean, I, I think, but even going back to the DNA of the business, Michael's background in tech, a lot of the profiles of founders these days, especially in CPG and e-commerce are just not that profile. You know, they're passionate founders. They found an interesting product or a niche. And so what do you say to those people, you know, who don't have that DNA necessarily up off the, off the bat, you know, it almost seems like, you know, you're in a lucky position in a lot of ways where you have, you know, that ability to actually go do that and execute in the way that you'd like. But what do you think for teams that don't have that? underpinning and resources? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. I mean, everyone's going to have their unique abilities, right? And I think, you know, if you're, you're, if you're being a good founder and, and you're building a good team, you're leaning on those unique abilities and using them as your competitive advantage in the marketplace, right? Our competitive advantage is the tech stack, is, is, is the tech DNA amongst, mm -hmm. you know, all the other things that amazing marketing team, amazing CX team and whatnot that we wouldn't be doing this without, of course. But having that tech DNA, I think it's just one more lever we can pull in, in, in the competition, right? The people that don't have that, I mean, I would never, I would never say Shopify is a bad idea, right? It's a pretty big company. You know, Toby's a pretty revolutionary guy. He's built an awesome ecosystem. And I mean, how many billions of dollars flow through that thing, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's clearly working, right? And so I wouldn't change Definitely. anything, but, but I would say if, if, if you started custom and you're like, man, we just got to get a Shopify, I, I would just tell those people like to really think about like, why you're doing that. And, you know, you always hear the story on the post Shopify transition, man, we used to just be able to do X, Y, Z, and now we can't. That continues to happen. So solve the right problem. Identify the actual right problem. And again, I think it's more around like, well, how did you set out to build your 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 digital product team, right? And again, with Michael kind of being the founder, like he understood that from the beginning, and constantly like he's on top of me on that, making sure the team is light and agile, and we're moving in the right ways. And you know, having a boss that actually knows how to write software keeps you pretty honest in a lot of those situations. You know, yeah, that's. I, I think I think you also made a great point. It's really about the business type, I imagine, because there's so much personalization totally. with Sundays where there's different styles and it's, it's subs subscription, as you said. So it might not be that just land on a landing page and just buy a product where Shopify might be great at, which is there's intent, but really learning about the product, understanding the different flows of people's behaviors. I'm sure it's a huge advantage for Sundays. I'm curious, uh, you talked about some of the decisions you make, for instance, with marketing. You know, what, what's just one example, maybe like a transformational decision? And we usually ask this of other operators, but it'd be good to hear from your lens. What's a transformational decision that was made and that was executed on by, let's say, your team working with the marketing team 
and also leverage that flexibility of the stack that you talked about. Yeah. So there's a lot of them. <laughs> um, and, and I don't know if <laughs> just one pick, in just particular. Pick, just pick one off top, top yeah. of mind. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of wins, which is great, but just, just one on top of your mind that you can think about. I, I, so I like, I like, I like this example of the sample box um, that, that we launched probably about a year and a half ago now. Right. And so, so, the, so the, what we're trying to get at is, you know, how are products expensive, right? The, the, to, to make the, the high quality food that we make, it costs some money. The value is, is more than there. But if you're coming from kibble, there's a, there's a big, there's a steep price curve that we have to get you through. Right. And we have to do a good job of conveying the value. And, you know, for a while, at least I had this personal mantra of food and bellies, right? If we can get the food in the dog's bellies, that's it. Like the dogs love the food. They, they often, you hear all these anecdotal stories of people or of dogs never touching the old food once they've put some Sundays like in their bowl. And so like, how do we get, how do we get food and bellies the, the easiest? And, and what competitive advantage might we have over our competition? Well, we can get our like, actually the box right here, right? This this is this on the shelf you can see here. Um, well, it, it's a small yeah. cereal box, <laughs> right? It looks like something you'd get out of a vending machine, right? And you know, our our product is shelf stable. You don't have to refrigerate it like a lot of the other high end um, products out there. And so we can actually just ship samples. We could just so we made a sample box. And we're like, how do we get the sample box into people's hands? And a lot of different ideas um, uh, uh, on, again, how can we use our engineering team to do this in a unique way and follow up with people and, and get them to convert from sample to su subscription. And this, this story, you could probably get this done in, in Shopify with a bunch of different tools that you can ma maybe purchase or whatever and add on. But again, like we're all about high leverage. What's the fastest thing we can get done in the shortest amount of time, right, that gives us the most leverage for learning, right? How can we learn the fastest? This is often what we're talking about. We did just a quick and dirty pop-up, which I'm the first to admit that I hated this idea. I, I do. I don't like pop-ups. <laughs> think pop-ups ruin the internet in general. Where, 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 did the, where did the idea generate from? Or did someone on the team come up with the idea? Or was it a group discussion of, hey, the pop-up is the reason, or that's what we should go with, is the pop-up? I, yeah, I think there's a lot of back and forth discussion. I think actually Michael was the one that 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 was was leading with the pop up, and like I said, I remember like being like, "No, man, we can't do a pop up. Please <laughs> don't, like, don't make me do a pop up." But being you know being an engineer and being a man of science, right? I want you wanted to learn, right? We're we're gonna we're gonna test a bunch of different ways to get samples out in the world, right? And they went from the digital product all the way down to like, what if we just put like a vending machine at a dog park and here's like a sample of Sundays, right? Like what are these things we can't, we, we can do better than other people. So that's just a snap. A pop -up. That's taken in the snaps playbook, right? Where the uh, right. Snapchat glasses, put, mm -hmm. put the vending machine up. I bought one, you know, I still Did have you? them. I think they're going to sell for like, yeah, I think they're going to sell like Beanie Babies someday. So I'm like, I might as well just save mine, you know, at I some point. This. We'll see. <laughs> I yeah. support this, right? <laughs> It was a good so product, we, to be fair. To be fair, it was a good product. I actually right, liked. right. I mean, you can't. Yeah, and and, yeah. and and what was the whole idea? Like, let's just let's get these things out in the world and see, right? That's kind of what we're trying Absolutely. to do here. We also didn't want this to like take away from a full subscription. We wanted this to be incremental, right? We didn't want to just like start with a sample. We wanted people to get to the subscription, but trying to find a way to get people that were maybe hesitant, right? And so we. We, you know, we, we launched this thing on X intent, right? Like if you, 
if you're on desktop, if you scroll above the zero pixel, essentially like boom, pop up, right? Pretty simple stuff. And I did not think this was going to work, but we're going to test it. And whole was I wrong immediately. I mean, I've never seen like an A-B test be so definitively positive so quickly in my life that, you know, we didn't really take a hit to full subscriptions, but we increased like total conversion, if you will, dramatically. Because you were grabbing a whole other section of customers that weren't going to buy, but bought this. Okay, fine. So they're buying a sample. It doesn't mean they're going to buy a subscription. And then, like, the conversions from sample to subscription started rolling in. And it was it was pretty dramatic, um, the number of people. I think it was early on, something like 30% of people that bought a sample went on to buy a subscription, which far outweighed, I think, anyone's expectations. And so we really leaned into that. How do you measure that success? You know, was there something coming in saying, hey, we we thought it's going to be 20%, but it's 30. Or is just, let's try this out and let's see what the results come out at and we'll be happy, you know, after the fact. Early in the days of Sundays, and even sometimes today, right, it's, especially with, with, again, the advantages of this, this, this lean digital product team, if we could just like code up a thing, and get it out in a day, let's just do that. Cause you know, maybe doing all the math and hypotheses early on takes three days. It's like, well, screw it. The customers are going to tell us whether it's working or not. We can have all the great ideas we want, but we don't, we don't know. The customers are the ones that know the customers are the ones that tell us. So I think this was an example of just like code it and get it out. Let's see what happens, right? It, it, if you did the, you know, we, we always did some back of the map, back of the napkin math, just to kind of check ourselves and keep ourselves in line. I think at five, ten percent maybe would go on to buy sample, right? Because you th- think about the price points, right? You're talking about like a five dollar sure. shipping and handling only sample versus hundred dollars, no depending on your dog size or whatever, <laughs> yeah. right? It's a pretty big difference, but like it worked, and so it's like one of those moments where it's like we did a light and agile thing. We leaned into testing even when some people, myself, were like, and we learned a a ton immediately and just went for it. So I, I think also it's it's really just great to emphasize the fact that the targeting was also just so important. The fact that you decided yeah. to pop up on the abandoned cart, you know, where you knew people were going to kind of either maybe consider it later on, maybe longest purchase cycle. But the fact they converted right off that moment was not really cannibalizing the core business, which I think is a really important part of that test. So yeah, really, really sharp. And, I mean, that yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, I say. You know, and, and it didn't stop there. And I think the important po- point, you know, something if, if, if I were to like, you know, here's one thing to learn from Don, like don't ever stop. Even though it was like an amazing success off the rip, you know, we continued to A-B test against it or, or have a hypothesis against it or, or look at the data against it. And eventually learned that if we took it off certain pages, that we could maintain a good sample purchase rate, but increase our full subscription rate. And so we had noticed there were actually some areas where the sample did start cannibalizing full subscriptions. And mm-hmm. through some testing, through some just monitoring, whatever, um, and watching the data and pulling that back actually resulted in like a 20% increase in full subscription um, conversion. So it's like never stop, I think is also 
part of that whole story. I, I guess since this is the data side, right, of the house, uh, just like reiterating that point, how, how hard was it to collect that data? What did you need to do you know, as a team to make sure that you were looking at the right data points or at least your team could have that data points available to do the analysis? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, to be honest, it was hard. You know, you're talking about a time in the company where it's seven of us, 10 of us, something, right? And I don't even think we had a full-time, like, data analyst on the team, right? It was me pretending to be one, <laughs> Michael having insights, you know. <laughs> that's true. Um, that's true. That's true of a lot of teams out there in a lot of ways. Totally. It's just, we're, all kind of, we're all kind of pretending to be data analysts, you know, and yeah. also trying to run <laughs> I mean, businesses at the same yeah. time. True, true words. Give it to the spoken. finance. So, Give it to the finance person. Yeah, you know, they'll figure it out. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with this. I don't. I, don't, I mean, <laughs> my <laughs> statistics class, I passed, but only because it was a teaching teacher's student or a TA or whatever, and he didn't know what he was doing, and he didn't want to look bad, so he gave everyone B's, and I was fine with that. I don't remember much from that class, right? So yeah, I mean, the the the, the data the data was a little bit hard then, and you know, were relying on different tools, your Google Analytics and whatnot that. You know, we came to, came to realize like some of these things weren't set up correctly from the beginning, and they were giving us incorrect information. Or, you know, so I, I actually there was a time where I just deleted the old data stack that that we kind of inherited from some contractors that were working, and um, kind of started fresh and started trying to do more server side. Um, data work because you know one i'm comfortable with that right again engineering background like when the database says the thing i know that that's true versus like if a javascript pixel is collecting something on the front end like it's not always true you know anything from ad blockers to just the internet doing weird things can cause something to go a little haywire there so in those moments we relied on some of that server-side data to notice like, well, where are people dropping off in the funnel? What's happening? What's this pop-up showing up? You know, where are people going? And noticing that and just doing some A-B testing helped highlight these areas. And I'm sure there's still more out there we just haven't got to. And, and just for the, the non-technical listening, and even myself, what, what is server-side tracking and why is it different than pixel-based tracking? And why, you know, why, why is it preferred in your case? Yeah, so, you know, caveat here. There's probably someone who would listen to this and say, eh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. If you just did it this way, it'd be easier, right? So I'm <laughs> open to that. And if that's you, please email me and <laughs> tell me what I'm yeah, doing we'll, wrong. We'll, right? we'll drop your information at the end. So you'll uh-huh. get a lot of emails, I'm sure, about that. Someone enlighten me, right? But, you know, again, custom cart, right? So so we have ultimate control. And when, when someone's cruising around any website, right, to that information of what loaded when is coming back to our server, right? Servers that we control and and into a database that we control. And we have ultimate visibility into that. And we could put specific tagging infrastructure in place to say, this happened at this point, collect a bunch of information and dump that into a specific table in our database, which makes it easier for us to visualize what's happening. And so we started doing a ton of that. The, The problem with relying on you know, Google Analytics or, or Full Story is something we use a lot too. Full Story is super powerful. You can basically watch people use your website, but it does not collect every event. Like if you if you are familiar with Full Story and and you've watched mm-hmm. someone through it, like there are absolute times where they're just like missing chunks of information. They just they just don't exist, right? Because the pixel 
failed to happen, failed to collect the information that happened on the on the the user's browser at that moment, because this is this collecting all the information from that browser. They have an ad blocker or just like a weird Chrome extension could interfere with that information all the time. But with the server, like that information is coming directly back to us. There's there's nothing blocking it, and we can construct a a full, completely detailed picture of what exactly is happening and what they're doing. And that reliability for me, it just, it just gets rid of the uncertainty, right? And I could, I could know for certain a thing that's happened versus like in some of the other tooling, you have 80, 90, 95% confidence, that's fine. But like if there's that one, you know, 5% could totally throw off an A-B test in, in one completely different direction. And all of a sudden you're walking down the wrong path. This is why like if you're setting up like um like a Facebook pixel, whatever, like if if you've ever been deep in the bottles of that thing, which I try not to be ever. Um, but <laughs> there is not, like, so. they give you a score on how well the front end, the pixel tracking is matching any server side events you're sending back. And um, the better the score, the better your uh, pixel will perform because Facebook has more confidence that these are what's happening. This is the conversion that's happening. And in fact, one of the Facebook reps said, you guys are doing this even better than Shopify. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. You might have to start a little side business. I mean, don't tell Michael, maybe. maybe it'll be an extension of Sundays. <laughs> I mean, if I was saying this is my doing, it'd, it'd be a lie. <laughs> I've got great engineers that handle this stuff. So even on just uh, maybe, we probably go for a long time on that topic, but I know we're, we're kind of running short almost on time. So I might even follow up with you on, on some of those notes. Sure just from the server-side tracking. But if you'd say, just on the server-side point, I know you made the, the browser point, the privacy-related you know, issues, let's say post iOS 14, Apple privacy issues. Is this yeah. privacy-proof in that sense because you're, you're basically seeing people come to the site? Or if someone has an ad blocker, and let's say they, they come through an ad blocker, they come through a Facebook campaign. They, come, they have a UTM, Facebook campaign, something happens. Are you losing any information on the server? Um, as it relates to, let's say, any of the ad blockers being in place? No. So so as long as, like, for example, they, kept, they click on a Facebook ad, right? And on that ad, the URL has a bunch of UTM information associated with it, right? And that UTM information comes along with that payload. And so we grab that as soon as, as, soon as it hits our site because um, the parameters coming in coming into our server. And so... You know, we, we store all the information on our side as well and, and, and we'll double check against it, you know, or, you know, if we do our edge, if we're looking at attribution or whatnot, like that's where we start. We start with the information we've grabbed from, you know, the referring URL um, and stored in our own database. And like, we own that forever. Like, it'll never, you know, no one's hiding that from us. We'll, we'll be able to, to grab it and do whatever we want with it and manipulate it and visualize it in different ways and, and slice it, dice it up, right? Like I, I woke up to a report about attribution about Black Friday from our data guy and that, that information came from our, our, our own database, our own data stack. And so we have high confidence level in it. Great. Um, and I'm going to ask two more questions. We typically ask for basically everyone on, on the podcast, but for one, you know, what is kind of a North Star metric that, either you as a team, so whether it's the engineering kind of data teams looking at or just the company as a whole, what is kind of that core KPI? If you had to pick one, what would it be <laughs> that you just are consistently tracking? 
You say, hey, oh, I'm going to stake my business on tracking this specific KPI. Man, I have to pick one. That's Just hard. one. So Just one. Close your eyes. I, I like, <laughs> oh, man, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of probably payback period right now, right? Okay. Um, you know, because you could see, because a lot of the other stuff boils into it, right? Like there's the cost to acquire a customer can sh will show up in payback period, right? The, the, the discounts will show up in the, in the payback. The, the, the effort it takes to retain a customer will show up in the payback and being a subscription business, right? Having a smaller payback means we're, we're doing better. And I think the payback forces us to be honest about the whole business versus just a part, right? So, uh, you know, on the digital product team, my main, my personal main KPI is conversion rate, right? But conversion rate, like, I don't know, man, you can kind of attribute, I almost envision it as like a jellyfish floating in the ocean sometimes, right? My conversion right now is amazing, but it's not because of anything I did. It's because of the awesome sales that our marketing team, they just flushed Black Friday, right? And in the same, these flip sides, same, you know, middle, middle of July, people are vacationing. They're not trying to sign up for a new subscription for the dog food. My conversion rate plummets. And again, I didn't do anything to the website. And so while that is super important and I wake up every day looking at that because it does give me hints, you know, something like payback could be a little bit more truth telling. Harder to, it's harder to I think you on a daily basis, right? I think payback is a great metric, by the way, and I, I totally agree. And and do you also measure based on gross profit per customer, or is it a revenue? Mm -hmm. I know you said discounts. Is it net revenue based, or is it hey, we're looking at all the cost of goods sold and everything else that actually is attributed to that sale? Yeah, it, it's it's recently changed for us at Sundays, like you know those kind of what revenue metrics we're looking at right now. But you know we're we're getting a lot more concerned with like the cost of goods sold and how that is affecting things and what are the discounts mm -hmm. doing to the pricing. And, and, and we're trying, we're kind of resettling on what we want to be measuring as a company. Um, got a great new um, finance person coming in and helping us out and taking, just looking at the business a little bit differently than we have before. Great. Yeah. I mean, I just so important. I feel like that's where everyone's moving towards, which is of course, with especially products, I'm sure like yourself, you know, shipping product, you know, has to be some part of the, the cost curve that's that's kind of larger, I would imagine. Totally. Product itself. The fact that the shelf stable, amazing, not versus I think other kind of fresh dog foods oh, that I've yeah. seen. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the last question um, really is also, what do you think is one of the biggest barriers for people to adopt kind of a data-driven mindset or data-driven decisions in organizations or that you've seen so far? What's the biggest hurdle? I think there, I think there's two, probably two parts to it. There, there's, there's access and then there's understanding and, and access can take a lot of different forms, right? It, it, do you, do you have a data stack that is self-serve, right? Can, can anyone on the, in the company walk into your data stack and manipulate it and look things up and drill into stuff and, 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 and filter things and stuff like that. And, and, you know, at, at Sundays, that wasn't the case for a while. Right, it, it was a lot of SQL-based reporting that someone who knew how to write SQL had to go do that stuff, and it, we have a big transition now to to a new stack which allows these things. Right, so so access, and then number two is understanding. You know, do do you know what these numbers mean, 
from both a micro and a macro standpoint. And are you paying attention to those things, right? Like, you know, if, if, if you see something in your numbers that causes you to panic and you don't realize your business has seasonality, you may do something really stupid <laughs> without, you know, and it might take you a couple of years to realize you have seasonality, right? We're having that conversation at Sundays. Do we have seasonality? I think we do, right? Again, like if you're in the, if, if, if it's the summertime, you're not trying to switch up your whole dog food. Yeah, you, you right? talked about baseline. You talked about conversion rates. I feel like baselines are so important to understand the different periods and seasons of your business because the baseline is just different in that time. Yeah. So really interesting. Well, Don, thank you so much uh, for this really insightful discussion. I'm still waiting for Sundays for cats, which I think will, I'm sure, not happen anytime soon because cats are picky eaters. I have, but... I have the website SaturdaysForCats.com. <laughs> so just in case we ever went down wow. that road. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My cat only needs kibble. I mean, she, she, she needs an upgrade. So, um, I'll be the first buyer whenever you need a test subject. Excellent. But yeah, thanks again, Don. Uh, and again, really lively discussion. So appreciate you coming on. Yeah, well, it was a pleasure. Have a great day, man.